We want to introduce to you, as I said, some of the dearest friends that we have here on the planet, Jim and Faye Andrews. Jim is a, a real apostle to the nation of Peru. Uh, it is very well and easily said about uh, Jim what Paul said by the Holy Spirit about his own ministry. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. These are the things that God has done with Jim and Faye and through them, through their hands, in the nation of Peru and now in other nations as well. And we're just delighted to have them with us. Jim, bless you. Thank you for being with us. We'll turn it over to you. Would you welcome Jim and Faye Andrews, please? Well, praise the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. I'd like my wife to remain standing so you can see her. Uh, amen. You know, somebody said that uh, I'm the head of the household, and somebody said, well, she's the neck that moves the head. So <laughs> we, uh, we have traveled together over many parts of the world and uh, experienced many things, and one of those signs that Paul said was all patience, and uh, I still haven't got all patience with the traffic in the city of Lima. Uh, we have increased the number of cars from what we had when we got there, uh, maybe 100% more, and uh, I live about 12 miles max. Of course, you're accustomed to traffic here, I can see. Uh, we went to eat the other night, and uh, uh, I could see there is quite a challenge of traffic here. Uh, so you know a little bit what I'm talking about. But I live 12 miles, and it takes me uh, during the week two and a half hours uh, to get to the church. And so uh, you can imagine. And uh, you're a little bit more orderly uh, than what we are there uh, because uh, anything goes. Uh, Three-lane traffic means five lanes automatically, you know, and so... Uh, so I can understand what Paul talked about when he says all patience. And I'm still learning some of that in regards to uh, the traffic. And then, of course, you know, different cultures have different customs and things of that nature. And uh, I have tried for 30-something years to get people to be on time. Uh, but I've come to accept the fact that that's never going to happen. <laughs> We start a church at 1030 and maybe we've got a handful of people, but they'll come around 11, you know, and about 1130, uh, you know, 11, most everybody's there. So, uh, now some, we had a uh, minister down just recently, a friend of ours, and he says, you don't have a clock at the back of the church. I said, no. I said, if they're going to come late, I'm going to preach late. So, <laughs> amen. Uh, so uh, it is, a, 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 again, a, a pleasure for us to be here. Uh, uh, really, we didn't intend to stay away that long because we enjoy your pastor's fellowship so much and him and his wife and his family. And uh, uh, he's a great friend also, and we just have a good time uh, talking the Word of God. It's good to have good friends. Do you know that? Uh, and friendship, relationship, cost. Uh, it's not just an easy thing to to have uh, somebody explain to me recently uh, because uh, this man in Peru, he called me his friend. And then he did some things. And when I got back in the country, I said, you know, I've got this funny feeling in the, my back here that feels like a knife. Uh, and it's yours. <laughs> and I thought you were my friend. I said, I just, that's okay. I said, I just want to know if that's the level of our friendship. Because there's different levels of friendship. You need to know that, you know. Uh, uh, some people are really, really friends. 
And uh, they would never put that knife back there in your back. Uh, they would cover your back. And uh, they would help you through life. And we need those kind of friends. So, uh, let's go over to the book of Galatians because my time is short. And uh, I, I haven't mastered like Brother uh, uh, Pastor Osteen did. Uh, the ability to preach something in 30 minutes and it'd be wonderful. It takes me a little longer uh, sometimes. <laughs> so I have to take advantage of all the time we can. Uh, and a friend of mine said one time, minister, he said, just feed the people what you've been feeding on. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to feed you just what I've been feeding on and trust that it blesses you. Uh, in Galatians, uh, the book of Galatians is a very interesting book because uh, I've studied it quite, quite for some time now. And it's interesting and comical at the same time because, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Paul was an apostle sent to the Jews and uh, sent to the Gentiles, excuse me, and Peter was an apostle sent to the Jews. And uh, uh, so the two had a certain relationship, but not really a close relationship in the sense of apostles and ministers. Uh, Paul ministered one place and Peter ministered another. And uh, the book of Galatians is a corrective type book where he's trying to correct the problem in the church and uh, some doctrinal errors. And it's sort of interesting how Paul starts it out. He says, Paul, an apostle, uh, not of men. Nor by men gives an indication that the people he's going to refer to in the book of Galatians have come to the churches in Galatia that he'd actually preached to there. He actually won the people to Christ. And we have to assume that he'd actually taught the people something about the word of God and something about the work of Christ. And so he uh, gives us the indication that these people had come and they had presented themselves as an apostle. Uh, some years ago, I read this thing. There was a young man that he wanted to be really recognized, you know, and so uh, he wanted to be an apostle. So he puts a big old A on him, and then he wants to be a prophet. So he then puts a big old P on him, you know, so he's an apostle, prophet. Then he wants to be an evangelist, and so he puts a big old E on him, you know, and... That's normally what happens when people start making titles and basing their ministry on titles. You know, they become UAPE, you know. And so, uh, but here, here, the, the Bible, uh, here Paul defends his apostleship because these people evidently have come down and presented themselves as apostles to gain authority in that local area or in the churches that Paul had raised up there. And, um, Many times I say this, you know, uh, uh, I, I pastor church and pastor church for many, many years now. And we've uh, also helped pastors in churches. And one of the things that leadership, leadership in church needs to realize is the influence they might have to minister in the church is not theirs. It's loaned to them by their pastor. And so here, uh, these people have come in to establish authority over some place that they really don't have authority. And they did it presenting themselves as apostles. And they did that so they could have influence into the life of people. Uh, and uh, they present one major thing that you perceive that the devil uses throughout history, and especially starting in the Garden of Eden with Eve, in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Uh, the first thing that they do is connect them with lack. You don't have it. And so now you got to do this to get it. And so they become the apostles of lack. And of course, they have the answer. 
And if you're going to get something, you sort of like years ago, you know, I don't know how, uh, where you come from, but years ago, there's great teaching. And thank God for the revelation of God, uh, you know, that God wants to bless us, that financial blessing is, uh, uh, is not a curse and that Christians should be blessed by God because that's part of our inheritance through the Abraham uh, covenant, Abraham's blessings. That belongs to us, uh, financial blessing. But then the prosperity people begin to to uh, go, seem like to me an extreme, all of a sudden they're telling the people and talking to the people like, okay, you're poor, I'm blessed. And if you want to get blessed like me, you have to give. But of course, not give to your local church, uh, but you give to their ministry because their ministry is the ministry that cares the blessing of finances. And uh, and I thought, well, if it's the giving aspect, why don't people just take that money and take it to the local church? Okay, listen to what the guy said, but then take their money, take it to the local church, and give it to the local church. Because if it's the giving aspect that's causing the release of financial blessing, then the local church is the best place to give your money because it's ordained of God. Amen. Amen. And so... Uh, uh, and it was interesting because in, in this thing of prosperity, uh, one of the things that was uh, used by many preachers was to connect to people to like, you don't have this, now I have the solution for you. And this solution is going to, but it's connecting you with me. And uh, instead of connecting the person with Christ and the complete work of Christ, they connected the person with their ministry and began to tell the person, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And here, this is exactly what we have in the, the book of Galatians. The Judaizers, uh, uh, Jews that were still... Um, uh, what they call them in the book of Acts, the faithful of the circumcision. They were still faithful to the Mosaic law. And uh, when we understand uh, before and after in the Bible, there was a, a time that, that the law was given. And we understand by Romans chapter 3, verse 19, that it says, Now we, whatever the law says, we know that it says to those that are under the law. Here, these Gentiles have never been underneath the Mosaic law. And so here Jesus comes. We, we're at Christmas time. We're celebrating the birth of Christ. But uh, in the realm of the Spirit, when Christ is born on the earth, when he comes on the earth, uh, Paul describes who this Christ is in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 19. The Amplified Version says, uh, it was God in Christ. And it says he was, uh, and the Amplified says, it was God personally present in Christ. Now just stop for a moment and imagine this. Here God is, makes his first visitation looking through the eyes of a man down here on the earth. He's born as a babe in a manger, but he's not a babe on the inside. This is God personally present in Christ. And according to Paul, what is this God personally present in Christ doing? He's reconciling the world and restoring the world with favor with himself. Hallelujah. That's what he came to do. And so here Jesus comes and he is the very fulfillment of the law. In the sense that the law, according to Hebrews, was a shadow of good things to come. It wasn't the reality. But when Jesus is born on the earth, now we don't have a shadow anymore. Now, it's possible, it's possible that Pastor Mike 
would be separated from his wife and take out his wallet where there's a photograph or his iPad. You know, everybody uses an iPad today. And uh, you see a photograph of his wife and he'd lean over and kiss that photograph. But we're staying in his home, and if I saw him looking at his iPad, kissing the iPad with a photograph of his wife, and his wife is standing right there, I'm going to sit him down and have a little talk with him. (laughs) Why? Because uh, why would we go back and take hold of a shadow, something that's a shadow, when we have the reality amongst us today? And Jesus is the reality of everything that God is and everything that God promised. He is the reality of God here on the earth. That's the reason why he was called Emmanuel, God with us. We have God actually living with you and I. This is God that come to the earth. And he didn't come to the earth to condemn the world. He came to the earth to save the world. And so here we find in this particular setting here, Paul making several statements in chapter 1. He says, talking to the Christians here, he says in verse 6, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of God unto another gospel, which is not another, but there some be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. As we said before, so we say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be a curse. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. Isn't that interesting that Paul looks back and calls it the Jews' religion? How that? Well, he was a Jew. How could he say that? Because something had happened. The system that was in operation all these years had come to a an abrupt end when Jesus is born on the earth. Because it was just a shadow. Paul goes on in the book of Galatians says it was our schoolmaster. It was to take us to Christ. But once Christ has arrived, now we have a saying in uh, in Peru, when something is uh, like a, a tomato has ripened to its fullest, we say in Spanish, está en su punto. And that means it can't be any better. It's reached its full maturity. It can't get any better. Well, listen, when Jesus came, he is the fulfillment. He filled to the full because the law said and prophesied of Christ. And so when Jesus come, the law is fulfilled in the sense that now the reality, the shadow pointed to has arrived on the earth. Thank God we're not walking in the shadow anymore. We're walking in the reality of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so Paul makes this statement. Now, you'll have to forgive me if I get excited because this excites me. 
For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above my many equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now, Paul has a mandate from God. He has, first of all, a revelation. It's not a revelation uh, per se of faith. It's not a revelation per se of grace. It's not a revelation per se of the Holy Spirit. His revelation is of Jesus Christ. Who is this man, Jesus Christ? Who is this baby that was born in the manger that we celebrate and we call it Christmas? Who is this man that was born on this earth, sent by God to this earth? And Paul has this revelation, not about him, but he has a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is who he is. Is He has a revelation of Jesus Christ. He has a revelation of who he is. He has a revelation of why he came. He has a revelation of what he accomplished. Paul has a revelation of Jesus Christ. And if there's uh, one minister made this statement, Brother T.L. Osborne, years ago, he said, it's one thing to see Jesus in the pages of the Bible. It's another thing to see Jesus in a man. But yet it's another thing to see Jesus on the end side of you. Hallelujah. Praise God. So if there's a need in our life, we need to have a revelation of Jesus Christ. Who is this man, Jesus Christ? What did he come to do? Did he accomplish what he came to do? And what happened after he accomplished what he came to do? Paul said that his his message to preach to the Gentiles was Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah. Now, interesting. We understand the problem here. The Judaizers had come down and they begin to persuade the Gentiles that to be accepted by God, they have to go back. Okay, you've received Christ, but now you have to go back underneath the law of Moses. And so they begin to connect them again with life. Like Christ himself is not enough. Jesus is not enough for you. So now you have to go back underneath the law of Moses and you have to fulfill all the law of Moses to be accepted by God. And Paul realized that, first of all, this is a perversion of the gospel because here in the book of Galatians, we find an interesting thing in chapter two. Chapter two, we find a story and I'll just relate it to you where Paul is actually publicly rebuking Peter. Because Peter is involved with these churches down here in Galatia. And if you look through the Bible, uh, you find one person that is always mentioned with Paul in the book of Acts. is Paul and Barnabas. They're traveling buddies. They're preaching buddies. And they're Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas is there in Acts, the 14th chapter, verse 7, where it says, And there they preached the gospel. And there was a man that was lame from his mother's womb that never walked. This man heard Paul speak. And we know that Paul was doing the preaching because it says, This man heard Paul speak. Paul saw that he had faith to be 
be healed. And he said, stand up right. And the man jumped up, completely healed, never walked. And instantly, by hearing the gospel being preached, he had faith to be healed. And Paul, when he saw that he had faith to be healed, said, stand up right on your feet. And he jumped up instantly whole. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Some years ago, we had a lady come into one of our meetings and she looks like she's uh, nine months or better pregnant. And uh, <clears throat> we prayed for her. It was a tumor. And she just, you know, out here looks like she's uh, full term, maybe overdue. But it's a tumor. It's not a baby. We prayed for her. She fell underneath the power of God, got up, and she looks the same. And she went maybe a half a block away to get, catch her bus. And as she's going up the bus, she felt a pain in her stomach and her skirt fell off. The tumor just disappeared. And I said, well, God must have wanted her to testify. You got to say something when your skirt falls off. <laughs> but here Paul rebukes Peter openly because Peter is having fellowship with the Gentile. Peter's a Jew. Barnabas is a Jew. And there's other Jews there, and they're having fellowship with the Gentiles. They're actually eating with the Gentiles. They're sitting there, brothers and sisters in Christ. They're eating with the Gentiles. But when the Judaizers from Jerusalem came down, we find a story that Paul rebukes Peter about because he separates with the other Jews, he separates from the Gentiles. Like they're second class. And this is another thing that we see the Judaizers using here, the fact that we are Jews. We are originals. And you're Gentiles. Now, you might not think they had that attitude. I don't know about today because I'm not familiar with Judaism today. You might not think then they had that attitude. But listen, in Acts the 10th chapter, when Peter goes down to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel, he is a Gentile. He goes down there. First of all, he didn't want to go because in Peter's mind, when Jesus said go in all the world, Jesus was just talking about the Jewish world. He wasn't talking about the Gentile world. And Peter has to have a special revelation from God that when Jesus said go into all the world, he meant all the world. He meant your world for you to go into your world, wherever your world is, not necessarily go to the other side of the world to preach, but go into all the world, go into your world and be a witness in your world. Wherever your world is, you go into your world and you be a witness in your world. And he said, go into all the world, which includes everybody, all groups of people, all races of people, all colors of people, everybody. This is the most wonderful thing and the most marvelous thing about the gospel of Christ. There's nobody excluded from it. Everybody's included. The door is open for everybody, man, woman, child, regardless of your color, regardless of your race, regardless of your financial status in the world. The door has been open to everybody. Everybody can come and freely receive of the water of life. It's a marvelous thing we have. What a great message you and I have for the world that you and I can stand anywhere and we can talk about this Christmas, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to the earth so that sinners would not be condemned, but they might be saved. He came to bring life and bring life, not just the, the exterior part of life, but life itself more abundantly. We, If you have Christ on the inside of you, you might not realize it, but... Uh, 
John said that with this eternal life would be like a spring springing up on the inside of you. There's eternal life on the inside of us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, maybe some of you know this, but uh, I, I came from one section of the country in Florida where they had underground rivers. And we would drill a pipe down and you hit, like you go drilling a well, but you go into an underground river. And you had a, a flowing well all the time. You didn't have to pump it up. You didn't have to feed it. You didn't have to pour water in it to get it to move. It was a flowing artesian well, and it just sprung up all the time. You put a cap on it, and you got water all the time. You don't have to pump it. You don't have to put a pump on it because you've tapped into an underground river. You have a river of life on the inside of you. This is life. It's not just a, a religious thing where you come to church. It's not just a religious thing where we do something in a religious manner on the inside of us we have life hallelujah praise God some years ago in a meeting with brother Hagen in Tulsa he laid hands on this man that was sick and he said the life of God he said not the anointing that I'm anointed with to heal or minister healing to people but the life of God in me is flowing into that person. Well, will that life heal? Absolutely it will heal. See, we have. That's the reason why uh, Jesus said, He said, He that believes on me, the believer shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Why? Because we have something to impart to people. It's called life. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, so Peter goes down to Cornelius' house. And, uh, of course, he, you know, after he gets a special revelation from God that uh, he meant to go into all the world, Peter goes into Cornelius' house, enlists his voice, and begins preaching the gospel. Interesting and sort of comical, because it says, the faithful of the circumcision went with Peter. They're going to go down and see what he's doing going to the house of the Gentiles. Sort of comical to me, you know. They're going to spy out the... Peter, I'm going to watch him, you know. And so Peter goes down, lifts his voice, begin preaching. The Holy Spirit falls on them. And they're born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, begin speaking in other tongues. And though faithful of the circumcision, the Bible says, and they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because on the Gentiles, the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on us at the beginning. Well, what was the beginning? The day of Pentecost. Here, these all, all the people in the day of Pentecost, 120 in the upper room, they're all Jews. But he says, the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on us was poured out on them as it was on us at the beginning. What was the beginning? The upper room. So these are original 120. You know, this is part of the original 120 that have gone down with Peter, but they're called the faithful of the circumcision. Well, we know Peter preached the gospel. Cornelius is a household, received Christ and were saved, spoke with other tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit. But then Peter goes back to Jerusalem. But the faithful of the circumcision <clears throat> had run back to Jerusalem before Peter. So when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, he's called on the carpet. And the question is, why did you, being a Jew, go into the house of the Gentiles? Why? Because Jews didn't do that. 
Jews didn't have any dealings with Gentiles. <clears throat> now you say, you're against Judaism? No, I'm not against anybody. What I'm saying is, is the mentality, and now Peter, with the other Jews, when these Judaizers come down to Galatia, he separates from the Gentiles. Making it look like, and I understand why Paul was so drastically opposed and rebuked him sharply. Why? Because it made it look like the body of Christ is divided into people groups. We're all Christians. <clears throat> you, we were uh, a couple years back, had the opportunity to go to Indonesia. Interesting language. The pronunciation of their vowels is the same as Spanish. I could understand what they're saying. I don't know what they're saying because the, the words are different. But the pronunciation was the same as Spanish. And so I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, isn't this wonderful? But then on, on the other side of that is the fact that you know you're of the same family. Why? Because it's the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that resides in us. is the same Holy Spirit that resides in them. You can't communicate with them. You can't talk with them. But when they worship, you know it's the same Spirit. You know you're of the same body. You're the same group of people called the church. We're not divided up in people groups. We're not divided up like there's Chilean Christians. No, there's Christians in Chile, but they're not Chilean Christians. They're not Peruvian Christians. They're not American Christians in these separate groups. We're all Christians wherever we might come from. We're still Christians. Amen. We're the church. Hallelujah. And so that's the reason why um, Paul actually rebukes him. And so let me read a few things here, starting with chapter 2, verse 11. It says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to face, because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And other Jews disassembled likewise with him, inasmuch that Barnabas, also Paul's traveling buddy, was carried away with their dissimulation. When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, Peter, before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles. Verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, and we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. That's a favorite saying of Paul. By the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. In Romans chapter 3, Paul, the whole book of Romans basically is about justification. And he starts off in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God and the salvation for therein. There's something revealed in that, in, in the gospel of Christ is a great revelation. And this revelation is the rightness or the justness of God. God is a just God. I hear some people say, well, uh, we're saved because of the mercy of God. Partly true. We're saved because of the grace of God. Partly true. 
But our salvation is not just based on the fact that God's merciful. It's not just based on the fact that God has extended grace to us. It's based on the fact that somebody else took our place and somebody else paid our debt. Somebody else paid the full penalty. And until we really recognize the great price that was paid for our redemption, I don't think we'll ever recognize the, 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 the depth of our sin. In our culture today, many times, and I'm not a sin preacher by any means, but I understand this. Paul, in the book of Romans, he looks at the pagan world and explains about the pagan world. Then he looks at the, the Greek-educated world. And then he looks at Judaism. And finally, Paul comes to this conclusion. This is a shocker to me. I still, when I, when I think about it, Paul looks at all of the mass of humanity. And if we looked around the mass of humanity today, Paul would say the same thing today. If he was here on the earth today, he might look at all the mass of humanity. Those that live in this sector, those that live in this condition, those that live uh, in different parts of the world, and then the more educated people, and then even Judaism. He would look at Judaism and he'd make the same declaration today that he made then. There's not one just. In all this mass of humanity, there's not one anywhere that's just. And this is the dilemma of God. There's not in all this mass of humanity, not one just. Somebody described and said God is just. What does that mean? That all of God's attributes are always perfect in their perfection. But they're perfectly balanced. God is a just God. And he has just demands. And the just demands of the law, the just demands of a holy God must be met. The price that must be paid must be paid. Some years ago... We've gone through maybe 13 or 14 different court cases all the way to the Supreme Court in the country of Peru. Uh, uh, somebody, this man impounded our car, took our car away from us, legally but illegal. You know what I mean. Uh, and I didn't understand what he said when he got so mad at me and did his arm like this and said, there's 500 judges here in Lima. I didn't understand that. I do today. <laughs> That means I can buy any of them. <laughs> and we had a judge stand right in our face and say, you know, for a few more dollars, a court case is won or lost. We lost the case. Well, God didn't do an underhanded deal. Why? Because his righteous nature will not let him do an underhanded deal. God is not a manipulator. He'll never manipulate you. He'll never lie to you. Because that's not his nature. All his attributes are in perfection. But they're perfectly balanced. His mercy doesn't overshadow his justice. In other words, justice must be met. 
Humanity cannot meet the requirements to satisfy the justice of God. If man pays the full penalty, man is lost. So God needs a substitute. So it's God in Christ, personally present in Christ. What's he doing? He's reconciling and restoring the the world to favor with himself. What's he doing? He's not taking into account man's sin. God has decided that he's going to do something for humanity that humanity cannot accomplish. And God decides to do it apart from humanity. He decides to do it and offer it as a free gift to humanity. You can come and receive or you can reject it. But God has decided, I am going to do a work. I am going to initiate it. I am going to fulfill it. I am going to complete And this work is something I'm going to give to humanity as a free gift. When we look at the the, the manger and when we talk about Christmas, what we're talking about is a free gift from God has come to the earth. Everybody likes gifts. Everybody in the lost world out there, many will celebrate, most will celebrate Christian and the exchangings of gifts. Why in the world would you negate and refuse to receive the greatest gift that humanity has ever had offered to it? Freely. Gift. Freely given. And here Christ comes. And he goes to the cross, we know that. He lives. <clears throat> Said was, Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. Isn't it interesting? When the woman that's caught in adultery is brought and thrown at the feet of Jesus, they want him to condemn her. According to the Mosaic law. But interesting thing is he is the fulfillment of the law. The law said he's coming. He's coming. It prophesied of Christ. He's coming. Jesus said all the law and all the prophets that speak of me. And here the law is saying he's coming. He's coming. And here he is. Standing before this woman. Who is he? This is God, personally present in Christ. What did he come to do? To condemn? No, he came to restore. He came to not taking into account men's sin, but canceling them out. Here stands before this woman the great cancellation of her sin. And you know the, you know the story. They're accusers. Jesus knelt down, began writing something on the ground. I don't know what he wrote. And he made this statement, those of you without sin cast the first stone. And finally he looks up at the woman. He says, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. Then he says something startling. He says, neither do I condemn you. Those words. Set that woman free. Those are the words of freedom. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. 
those words by Christ, God personally present in him, empowered this woman to live above the sin that she'd been in before. It freed her. Hallelujah. So Jesus comes. Did he pay the full price? Was his crucifixion, his death and burial enough? Interesting in Romans chapter 4. Remember, not one righteous in all the world. Paul said their righteousness was as filthy rags. In Romans chapter 4, interesting verse of scripture here. In verse 25, it says, talking about Jesus who was delivered up for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Not quite as clear as one translation says, when our acquittal was obtained, Christ was raised from the dead. When Jesus has paid the full price for humanity's sin, when the full price at its maximum level, it is full, it is totally canceled, and our acquittal had been obtained, God raised him from the dead. He didn't raise him from the dead before until everything was fully paid. Many times, many times we talk about the blood of Christ and what that means from our side. But move around a little bit with me this morning over to God's side. What does the blood of Christ mean to God? But I don't know about you, but I have not arrived at perfection yet. And if you don't believe that, ask my wife. It's like some years ago, there was a man interviewing Dr. Lester Summerall. You know, he had a minister of deliverance. And the man interviewing him on, on national television. He said, well, tell me, do I have a demon? He said, I don't know. Let me ask your wife. <laughs> Good answer. No, I haven't arrived. Maybe a few of you have. I know Pastor Mike's real close, but <laughs> we're friends, okay? We can do that. <laughs> what does the blood mean on God's side? First of all, God is satisfied. His just demands of his law, his righteous nature. Is satisfied. God is content and satisfied with the work of His Son. Now I understand even more why it says, You are accepted in the Beloved. Why? Because He's satisfied with the work of His Son. Evidently, evidently, unless we have some wrong concept about our own personal life. Speaking of me, I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't know about me. <clears throat> I was going to church one morning. In one of the buses they drive, little small 25-seat buses, almost run into my car on the side of where my wife is sitting. Well, 
<clears throat> I chased him down. I want to teach him a few things about driving. <laughs> I know you would never do that, okay? You're, you're, those things that we call shoulder blades on you are really wings they're sprouting, you know. So. <laughs> I know you would never do that. But I chased him down. And this old Sunday morning, I got to preach later on. Okay. <laughs> but I want to have a word with this guy. And I'm not going to do a lot of talking. <laughs> I'm going to do more showing. <laughs> Why? Because he almost ran into my car where my wife's sitting. He's a nut. And so I run it and cut him off. Made him stop. I'm out of the car. And thank God a policeman came at the same time. <laughs> you say, was you upset? Highly. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know you would never get involved with anything like that. You have grown much beyond where I am. Okay. But so what does the blood mean to God? With the price fully being paid, with the price canceled, and God satisfied with the work of His Son, what does that blood mean to God? That means that God can love you. He can put His arms around you. He can be with you, not because of, but in spite of your imperfections. Now, that's good news to me. That God can love you and have fellowship and associate with you regardless of your imperfections. Because he is satisfied with the work of his son. Now, does that mean that we just live any old kind of way? Why would we live any old kind of way? When someone has paid such a great price for you and I to live with God. See, sometimes, sometimes, uh, we have reduced Christianity into coming to church. I mean, there's many blessings. The greatest blessing, Paul put it this way. In the Old Testament, there's one major blessing. God said it over and over again. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Think about that. God said to the people of Israel, I'll be your God and you will be my people. God fully accepted all the responsibility of being their God. Of being their healer, being their provider. In everything that we could think of what God would do for a group of people, he fully accepted that responsibility. Paul interprets that in the New Testament through the New Covenant, through the work of Christ. And he says, I will be to you a father. And you shall be to me sons and daughters. That means that God has fully accepted the responsibility to be our heavenly father. To be everything that a father would be to his child. Now I do know this. Pastor Mike is a pretty peaceable person. 
But I guarantee you, if somebody came through the back door of his house trying to hurt his daughter, you're going to see a transformation take place and different man is going to come about because now the fatherhood of Pastor Mike is going to rise up in such a manner. He is not going to pat that man on the back and say, now I'm walking in love. He is absolutely going to destroy him if it's possible. Amen. God has accepted the responsibility to be your father. In every sense of the word. That's why Peter, Peter finally recognized this. And in Peter he says, casting all your care on him. Why? Because he careth for you. Maybe this Christmas... Maybe you're separated from your family, natural family. Maybe you don't have a lot of friends and you might find yourself alone in that sense at Christmas time. Some years ago, I read a report that more people commit suicide around Christmas and holidays than any other time of the year. We stopped at a roadside park when you're traveling. Went into the men's restroom and here's a man there. You could tell by his clothes that he's, he's you know, he's... he's He's not well dressed. And I began talking with him because it's Christmas time. What a great opportunity to talk about Christ. What a great opportunity to tell the world this, this, this child born in a manger came for a purpose. He fulfilled his purpose, fulfilled his calling, fulfilled his job. He did it with excellence. He's not a child anymore. He's a grown man. Sitting on a throne in heaven. Hallelujah. He's not just king of angels. He is the king of kings. Our Lord and Savior sits in a position in heaven. Higher than any authority anywhere in the universe. And he's our Lord and Savior. And older brother. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that excites me to know that somebody up there is, has, <laughs> has great favor given unto me. Somebody up there is sitting in the place of highest authority over all the authority that might take place here on the earth. Somebody up there, my older brother and my Lord and my Savior, the King of Kings, is sitting in this place of authority up there. Hallelujah. And he's on my side. He's not against me. And this man was on his way to try to reach family. And he doesn't have any money. But he wants to try to get to his family on Christmas. What a great time to extend the love of God to somebody. I had a situation some years ago. This lady in our church, she's a very special lady. Uh, She would always go and get the undesirables and bring them to church. Well, at that time in the country of Peru, especially in the city of Lima, they didn't pick up the garbage. And so people would like where you've got the medium out there between the two main highways, people would just take their garbage out and pile it up. And I mean, it's, it'd be high as this part right here from the, from the floor to the roof. Garbage just piled up. Well, people live in the garbage. People eat out of the garbage. 
and fingernails grow out, and they dig around the garbage, you know, and they, they, and they smell like garbage. Well, she brings this guy in, and believe me, he looked like the garbage. He smelled like the garbage. There was an aroma, but it wasn't a sweet-smelling aroma that filled the whole house. There was an aroma, a stench that filled the whole house when he, she brought him in. When I looked at him, he had open sores on his hands and arms and face. I mean, pitiful-looking thing. But when I looked at him, that living Christ on the inside of me rose up in a compassion that I hadn't experienced before just overtook me. And I went to him and embraced him because what I saw, how the devil had taken some being that was created at one time in the image and likeness of God and how the devil had took his foot and pushed him into the garbage of the world and made him live and eat and actually think that he's worth nothing and living in the garbage and eating the garbage and smelling like garbage. And I embraced him with the love of Christ and, and love just flowed out to him as I wept over him. Several days later, the main gate, somebody rang the doorbell. And I went out, opened the door, and there's a young man standing there. He said, you remember me? I said, well, no, not really. I mean, he's well-dressed. He stuck out his arm. He says, look at that. He said, look at it. He said, look at my face. He said, it's all gone. He was that man on Sunday. And love touched him. Love healed him. You've got that kind of love on the inside of you. And all we need to do is just let the living Christ, this resurrected Lord that lives in us, reach out through us and touch somebody and love them. Oh, I'm telling you. Oh, what a privileged people we are to know that Jesus Christ, thank God we see him in the Bible. And thank God we've seen him through other men. But thank God we can have the revelation. This resurrected Lord lives in you and I. And we have something for somebody. We can bless humanity. Hallelujah. We can bless, you can bless your world, whatever world that might be. You can bless your world. Hallelujah. And I need to, to, to finish this right here. But Paul, he's come to this conclusion. There's not one righteous. And by the works of the law, no, no one shall ever be made righteous. What is God's answer to all of this? He said it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, starting with verse 25, Where have I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God? Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. 
the hope of glory. Paul made this statement that talking about these three groups of people that their righteousness or works of righteousness was as filthy rags. So our works of righteousness to gain favor with God or be accepted by God or be right with God is the same today. It's interesting in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. So we have no confidence in the flesh. If some think they can have confidence in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised the eighth day. The tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Why did he say that? Because Paul is saying all these things. You can check my genealogy. You can go all the way back. There's no Gentile blood in my blood whatsoever. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. If anybody qualifies, I qualify. But then he says, I count all these things as trash so that I might win Christ. I'm going to ask you a question before I end tonight or this morning. What do you have your faith placed in? What is your faith placed in? Paul made the statement. He says, he said, I'm trying to, my my Spanish uh, translation wants to come out. Uh, What do you say? Take hold of eternal life. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. In Spanish, it means take hold of it. I mean, echa la mano. You really take hold of it. Is your faith fully placed in Christ? Or is your faith placed in something you do? Prayer, reading your Bible, all those are good things. Coming to church, good thing. I mean, you couldn't come to church and just worship God together without being blessed, even if there was no preaching of the word. Just coming together because we're a body. Somebody made this expression years ago. Said you go to a perfume factory where they have different fragrances. And when they start mixing from this bottle to this bottle, the fragrance of this bottle begins filling the room. Then the fragrance from this bottle begins filling the room. And they begin mixing different fragrances to come up with a special fragrance. And the whole room is filled with the fragrance of all these different smells. Well, that's you on Sunday morning. You bring your bottle and you begin to pour your fragrance out. Somebody else pours their fragrance out. And all of a sudden, the whole room is filled with this sweet-smelling aroma of coming out of us to God. Hallelujah. What am I saying? As a missionary, years ago, I had this idea. Okay, we do a newsletter. Got this good report. So next time I do a newsletter, 
got to have a better report. And then I got to do better the next time. And so I, we had 20 people saved last week. So the next time I do a newsletter, I got to have 50. So now I'm trying to do things because I have to do something to be worthy of the support that people send. And so all of a sudden, I'm on this treadmill of doing things, and my motive is completely wrong. I'm preaching to people to get a testimony, not because I love people. Not because I want to see them saved and born again and come into the fullness of Christ. And my faith shifted to this. People put their faith in prayer. Well, it's good to pray. Amen. But it's a bad place to put your faith. It's better off to have your faith in the person that answers your prayer, not in the prayer itself. And so here, here in the church world, we have so many things. And Paul said, I don't have any confidence in the flesh. To take hold of eternal life. And Paul says, I don't have any confidence in the flesh. If somebody thinks they have confidence in the flesh, I'm more. And he goes down through this line of things. And then he says, I just count that as done. He said, because I want the righteousness which is by faith through Christ. The righteousness of God that is a free gift. Not my own righteousness that I establish by my own works. I want my faith in other words, fully in the work of Christ. Is your faith this morning fully? And I don't mean any condemnation by it whatsoever. Is your faith fully in the work of Christ? And call in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, he says, talking to the Judaizers in the Galatian church, if you go back to circumcision and you put your faith in circumcision as a means of justification, if you go back... To that, he says, Christ will profit you nothing. What a sad state. Now, I'll tell you this story and I'm going to close. A couple years back, we were teaching in the Bible school. We got word from the secretary of the Bible school that this lady would like to talk with us. She's in the final stages of terminal cancer. And... We were just about ready to leave, and so we had a short time uh, there in the place. So we agreed to talk with her. We had an hour opening. And so I've learned over the years, if I'm going to deal with somebody, if I have the time, I want to find out where they're located in their faith, what they're actually believing, or have believed is a better way. Because sometimes we say, well, I'm believing God. Well, have you believed yet? Because I'm believing sometimes it's a badge of doubt because you really haven't taken a position. I have believed. And I have. Okay, he who believeth has. Okay. And so, <clears throat> so I said, well, tell me what's going on with you. She said, well, I stay up all night. I'm so tired. She said, I rebuke the devil all night long. She said, I confess the word all night long. She said, I'm just so tired. And she's frantic. Okay. Why? Because the doctors already told her there's nothing else we can do. You've waited too late. There's absolutely nothing medical history can do for you. 
And she said, when I'm driving my car, and somebody cuts me off, I get so mad. But then I say, God forgive me, God forgive me. Well, I know what she's doing. She's trying to earn her healing. Why? Because she's rebuking the devil. Well, how many times do you have to rebuke him? If you rebuke him twice, it's a good indication the first one didn't work. I mean, it might be something you need to do, but I mean, if you really rebuke the devil, I mean, okay. He's, Peter said, if you resist him in the faith, then he'll, he'll flee. Well, I'm confessing the word. Okay, that's fine. But are you trying to get it by your confession? Are you trying to uh, persuade God to give it to you by your confession? Are you trying to reach this magical number of your confession? And all of a sudden when you reach that magical number, it's going to take place? Because if you are, you're in works. And then she said... When I get on the road, somebody cuts me off. I get so mad. Well, I mean, she's got pains racking her body. And sickness has never brought the best out of anybody. And you know that by experience more than, more than likely. If you've ever been sick, it doesn't make you the flowery Christian. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't do that. When you don't feel good, you don't feel good. <clears throat> But she's got the ideal that she's got to walk perfectly 100% of the time in love or faith won't work. I know exactly what she's doing. She's trying to qualify for something that Christ has already qualified her for. Does not the scripture say that he took? Well, if he took, he took. Okay. There's no qualification attached to it. He took. Our sickness. And he bore our pains. Past tense. Peter looking back on the cross says, By his stripes you were. No qualification. You were healed. So all this stuff that she's doing is confessing the word good? Sure. Is walking in love good? Sure. Is rebuking the devil a biblical practice? Sure. But somewhere down the line, in her life, she's moved over trying to earn or qualify for healing doing all these things. And I said, well, I'll pray for you. But, did you know there's a lot of people that's got their butt in the wrong place? <laughs> you, are you aware of that? I have people come to me. And they talk about how good and how great God is. And they say, but, Pastor, you don't know what's happening. See, their butt's in the wrong place. If they're going to talk about their problems, they ought to talk about their problems and all their situation. Then they ought to say, but God is bigger than my problems. But God has healed me. But God has delivered me. But get the butt in the right place. You in television, get your butt in the right place. <clears throat> Amen. I said, I can help you, but you got to promise me you'll stop all this and just receive as a gift the healing that Christ has bought for you. Oh, he laid hands on her. 
I got another class, dismissed ourselves. I asked somebody about it in the Bible school, and they said, well, she died. I thought, what a shame, you know. I had a little more time. I'd known about it at the beginning of the year instead of the end of the year when we was there. We could have maybe helped her better, you know. So next year, second year, missions class, first hour. Okay. After I finished the class, this lady comes up. She says, you remember me? I said, no, I really don't. She said, I'm that lady that was dying with cancer last year. And I just want you to know that I am 100% cancer-free. I am healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. She received the free gift. I don't know you. And it might be possible there's somebody here this morning. And I don't normally, I don't know what the practice is here in the church. But there might be somebody here that you don't know Christ. And I want to express upon you, this is a time of receiving a free gift. It's free. Freely he has given, freely you receive. Accept Christ and be born again. Praise God. Pastor Mike, why don't you come? I'm through. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wasn't that good? Why don't we all stand together? Glory to God. Let me remind you that uh, Jim's going to be ministering in healing school tonight at 6. There will be prayer school at 5 o'clock in the fellowship hall. And you're invited to that as well. But uh, it's going to be good. Amen. I'm expecting some great things. Praise the Lord. Let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for Jesus, the free gift. We thank you, Father that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin, that the sacrifice of Jesus has healed us from all sickness and disease. Thank you that Jesus paid the price for our well-being in every area, financially as well as physically. We thank you, Father, therefore, that we are free in Christ. We pray, Father, that this time, this holiday season, would be a time where we recognize what belongs to us and who we are in Christ like we've never seen and known before so that we can live the Jesus life throughout this next year and throughout the last days before Jesus comes. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy toward us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you this evening.